We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode one oh nine. There you go. I'm pretty sure you're right. God, if you're, kids hot. If kids you're, hot. If you're not right, then welcome to episode one ten. Yeah, whichever it is, it'll say it on the thumbnail. So, yeah, so welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast, episode one hundred and something. But there you go. I don't know the number. What I do know is that we have a guest laden pod today, and it's going to be a fantastic um, just draft analysis on multiple fronts here, Matt. We have uh, we have a couple of guests for the people, uh, NBC Sports uh, Bulls uh, analyst and insider Mark Shinowski, as well as uh, the hockey head that be and i don't i don't uh want to disrespect him here matt what's dave's uh what's his give me the official uh, they, uh, he's he's a he's a jack of all trades joe he, he does a, he's, 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 a, color, he's okay. a color analyst for tsn so he does a lot of games over there does a lot of studio gotcha. work in the offseason he's the former uh vp of hockey ops for the maple leafs he was the head coach at notre dame for a while he he captained the uh the flyers and he has actually an interesting story to talk about the podcast about being a short-term captain of the boston bruins as well um, like you said, grizzled. We, we, he's grizzled. a grizzled vet. He's been around the block a time or two. And we, we got two important drafts coming up at the end of this week. And, and mm-hmm. no, no offense to us, Joe. I'd like to think we know our sports pretty well, but but we know when to make a call to the bullpen on on some people that might know oh, a, a thing or two more than, than we do. So we're not afraid to go to those guys. Go to the experts uh, we, when we, we need we, to. We brought in some some serious um, some heavy some hitters. Serious some heavy hitters. Uh, some guys that really uh, know the game, uh, know the drafts, and uh, uh, shedding light on things that we could not uh, with our playful banter. So Dave Poulin and Mark Shinowski coming up on the pod. But first, Matt, pleasantries in order. How are you? How are things? Are we doing well? Are we happy? Summer's here. We're doing well. Summer's here. I'm not going to lie to you. We'll get to it and buy or sell. But last night's result of the, the White Sox-Cubs game has Got been a little, bit, a, little way. Little, little bit better of a mood. Eloy, king of, of mood. the city. Eloy, uh, Eloy flexing, doing a little, little broken bat home run there in the ninth. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit tired this morning. We, we were there late last night working for a while on that type of stuff. We were up early to talk hockey this morning. There's not many things that get me out of bed by 7 a.m. after a late night, but talking hockey yep. is one of them. Uh, other than that, Joe, I'm I'm doing pretty well. How 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 are things? This is uh, your Saturday out on the West Coast. Yeah, uh, we're we're thriving right now. Got we're going to a comedy show tonight. Oh, look at that. Got a little good performance. Little best of Sacramento tomorrow night. It's really just a nice little midweek weekend that we got here. I'm um, going go. to see going to see a good friend, um, uh, Lance Woods. He's kind of a local. Um, I, I don't even want to call him an up and comer because he's done some small movie parts, but um, he's a Sacramento native and uh, he's really uh, well represented here in Sacramento and is starting to branch out and do his thing too and uh, does a lot of work with the Kings and whatnot. So, going to go show our support uh, at at the Punchline Sacramento, but no free ads so um it's uh, it's gonna be a good time i got a little bit excited there because i saw you doing some instagram stories with cam blossom uh earlier uh-huh. in the weekend i kind of thought yep. you said i'm going to see a friend do a comedy show i thought you were gonna say cam oh blossom. i wish i wish he would have uh, been out here still but yeah cam was out here um if you haven't look him up here here is a free ad because cam has been so good to i know both of us and if anyone deserves it, it it's cam um, that's right a storiedhats.com cam's got a uh, got a tour going right now he started a hat company the entrepreneur that he is sound like his third company 
um, started a hat company. Everything's sourced from uh, countries where, um, you know, the, the materials are thoughtful and there's a story behind everything and uh, no logos on the hats. He took care of me with a beautiful little herringbone number here. Oh, there you um, go. So Gotta love it, the it's definitely, it's definitely got uh, some different looks that, that you're going to like. And he's, they're doing a West Coast tour. That That's kind of the moral of the story here. And stopped off in Sacramento. I got him on the morning show, um, you know. We had a couple, a uh, couple road sodas, and uh, and we sent him south on his way. Oh, there you good, go. Good, good time seeing him, no doubt. Yeah, he, no he do, doubt. he do a little parkour out there. Um, I think he's put it behind him. I think he's put. <laughs> he's, I think he's, he's put the he's parkour those days. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Matt, as we said, a ton to get to today. We're going to touch on most of it in uh, buy or sell and in segments. But you know, we've got changing of the guard in the NBA. We got a big draft coming up, and a uh, Stanley Cup was hoisted in the NHL. Uh, our nation's major behind us at Pebble Beach. I can give you a firsthand account of that when I was out there Friday. It was. Uh, just a, a beautiful uh, exhibition, and it wasn't an exhibition, but a beautiful display of uh, of professional prowess there at uh, Pebble Beach, as well as um, you know seismic shifts in the NBA with AD changing uh, jerseys and, and a bunch of other stuff. But uh, before we do that, let's 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 tee up our first guest here, uh, Matt. We're gonna go with uh, with Dave first. We're going Dave Dave, Dave first. first, Mark second. All right, beautiful. Well, here is a here is a fantastic uh, a chat between Matt Rooney and Dave Poole. All right, we welcome on to the Moose and Runes podcast. I believe for the third time now, our uh, our hockey analyst. He's a, he's works for TSN. He's been the VP of the Maple Leafs, head coach at Notre Dame, captain of the Flyers, played for the Bruins. Were you captain of the Bruins as well for a brief stint? Uh, true. I was for a brief stint, but that's that's a, actually a pretty interesting story. Wonder, it's Dave Poole. He's back for all those those hockey uh, the, the hockey nuts out there that tune into this and then have been have been asking for the return. Why don't you tell the interesting story before we uh, we get into this? Well, I got traded to Boston in 1990, and we went to the Cup final that first year. And during that year, I did wear an A almost immediately upon getting there. But I believe it was the following year, we were the following year or in one of the subsequent years, Ray Bork was the captain of the Boston Bruins forever. Of course, yeah. And he got hurt in the playoffs. And so for the first time in his entire tenure as a C, they put a C on someone else's jersey so they had a captain in the playoffs. So we were playing Montreal and someone shot a hockey card of Dave Poulin as the captain of the Boston Bruins. So I have a hockey card during the C in the Montreal Forum for the Boston Bruins. Now that you bring that up, I want to say there is one of those Boston Bruins C hockey cards sitting up in in my parents' lake house in Michigan somewhere when when you brought a whole big stack of them up there. Awesome. So that's a a pretty good trivia question. So I did technically wear the C in Boston and Philadelphia and uh, was fortunate to the the great Ray Bork. I uh, replaced him for one playoff series. (laughs) There you you go. (laughs) Uh, Replacing Ray Bork is certainly a, a difficult task. Ask, uh, before Just we get little, started right. here, um, congratulations. The city of Toronto, long-suffering, uh, finally has has their champion, the one they've been waiting for, for forever now. The Toronto Raptors finally brought home a title there. Uh, Amazing. Right? Well, they've actually, they won one in Major League Soccer. They've won one in the Canadian Football League yeah, in those, recent years. Yeah. But this is a whole different animal. A little, little, little bit different. As was evidenced by the two-plus million people downtown on Monday. And, you know... I, I guess I'm always drawn back to the parallels in hockey, but what we watched this year 
with Kawhi Leonard, Matt, was a superstar. Oh, that absolutely. is a Top superstar. Five player. That, he was so good. And he only played, what, 60-ish games with mm-hmm. the whole interesting concept of load management. We'll see where <laughs> that goes now in sport because that'll be the new thing. That's trending. The contracts. I'm only playing 60 games, not 80 or 82. But he was so magnificent, and he made every player on the court so much better. And when I'm looking at the distribution of money in the NHL right now and how we're paying a lot of these young players coming out of their entry-level deals, and quite frankly, before they even get to fully completing their entry-level deals, these astronomical sums, before they've won anything, before they've won a playoff series, before they've you know, done anything, they're becoming you know, in the grouping of the highest-paid players in the league, they should be looking at Kawhi Leonard and said, oh, that's what a superstar does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we throw the term superstar around very, very liberally. And, you know, I I argue with hockey guys because, you know, we'll hear the term, well, he's a generational player. Well, you can't have a generational player every year, Matt, because if you do, that's an annual player. It's not a generational player. (laughs) It's not a generational player. And we've become far too liberal with these terms that just extol the virtues of young players who are, yes, very talented, but certainly haven't won at the highest level, having, you know, Kawhi Leonard was the MVP of the NBA playoffs and led his team to a championship. That is an all-star. Real quick, yes or no, one-word answer, does Kawhi stay with the Raptors? Oh, yes. I hope you're right. I, 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 would, like to, I would like to see him stay there, but now we're going we're gonna to take this more into your wheelhouse. Not that basketball isn't. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're quite the knowledgeable Raptors fan. We're going to go to the ice. Um NHL draft is Friday night in Vancouver. Are you going to be there? Are you, you in the studio? How you? I'll be back here in Toronto okay. in the studio. And, you know, we have our draft guys and our draft experts, Matt. And, and I was offered the opportunity to go and quite said frankly, no to Vancouver? I did. And I'll tell you why. Because of the extent that I was involved in the draft in past years when I was in the business. And I would see 200 plus games a year and I would go to the Ivan Holinka tournament in the summer and I would go to the U18 championships and I'd watch the U17 championships and I'd watch these young stars from the time they were 15 and 16 years old all the way up. I sat in on every amateur meeting. And so to ask me if I want to go to the draft to participate, I'm like, well, I I can't because I don't have the knowledge that I had then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't, I'm not going to read someone's draft report. We have some great guys that do it, you know, Craig Button and Bob McKenzie. And I'm not going to read their draft reports and pretend I'm an expert because I'm not on the amateur side. I have a good feel for the top end of the draft because I do the U18 brackets um, on TV. So I've watched, you know, for instance, that U.S. National Development Program a number of times. I've seen those guys play. So, yes, at the top, I have a pretty good feel for you know, the first round and how, you know, how it might shape out. But in the depth of it, once you've done it to that degree, you can't just step in and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to drop into the draft this week and, and be an authority on it. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Well, fortunately, the uh, with the Hawks picking three, all of my questions for you here revolve around that top end of the draft. And I'm pretty comfortable so there. That's where I want to I want to start things here. Obviously, you know, with, with Hughes and Kako, the, the, the top two are pretty well set here unless something really strange happens but at number three there seems to be i don't know a wide range of six or seven or eight guys that the hawks could go between you know byram zegris doc turcott uh even cole caulfield's names and mentioned so out of that next pool that next wave outside the top two who is your favorite prospect that you mo- most like out of that big two 
I like I like Alex Turcott in that slot. Okay, and and I think Alex Turcott, boy, I don't want to make an unfair comparison here, but he reminds me of number nineteen on the Chicago Blackhawks. He he turned out okay, and he turned out just fine. And by the way, he was the number three pick in the draft. Yes, he was way back when. Thank you, Blues and Penguins. And uh, well, you know what, Eric Johnson won and Jordan Stahl too that year. And you know, Jordan Stahl is an interesting one because he's that you know, mammoth centerman that everyone covers, and he certainly had a very, very good NHL career. And you've got two of those guys in Dylan Cousins and Kirby Doc, mm-hmm. who 6'3 and 6'4, big kids, one out of Lethbridge, one out of Saskatoon. And at various points, they were both rated, you know, maybe a little bit higher than Turcotte. Um, I really like Alex Turcotte's game. I like the all-round nature of it. I think he's tenacious. He's a real junkyard dog. And it's interesting because his dad, Alfie Turcotte, was a total skill guy. And he was a first-round pick to the Montreal Canadiens in, in my generation. And, you know, never had the impact at the NHL level in a very different time and a different game. In many ways, Alex's game would have fit better when his dad played. And just a tenacious, tenacious player. And I did a lot of pre-work on him before the U18s this year. And John Robleski, the head coach of the National Development Program in Plymouth, uh, played for me at Notre Dame for four years. And so I had a good source to go to to get capsules on all these players. And, you know, he just talked about the tenaciousness of Turcotte, the compete level of Turcotte. And guess what? Everything he said, I kept thinking about your number 19 on the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I have a chance to grab him at number three and, you know, Cousins and Doc are both tempting at that. The other intriguing player on, well, there's a couple more in that U.S. program, which is could see as many as five or six in the top 10 this year. Wow. And Trevor Zegers is a passer and he's a passing centerman, sees the ice incredibly well. And then the third guy in that grouping is Cole Caulfield. And Cole Caulfield at five foot six, and I believe he gives himself three quarters of an inch over <laughs> the five six right now, is as prolific a score as I've seen coming through the draft. And, you know, and making direct comparisons to your Blackhawks, Alex Debrinkett didn't go to the second round. Well, there's no way you're getting him in the second yeah. round this year. And Cole Caulfield will not get by probably the first six or seven spots in the draft and has players like Alex Debrinkett to thank for that. Because while Cole Caulfield's feet certainly stand on their own, anytime you want to say, well, a player of that stature can't score in the NHL, you look at a guy like Alex Debrinkett and say, that's very wrong. So in this position now, when you're the Blackhawks who, you know, were projected, I think it was with the 12th pick and then ended up obviously doing really well in the lottery. They're a little bit closer to competing than probably a lot of those teams at the top. Do you draft by need? Do you draft by position? Do you go best available? Do you take a guy who maybe you think might be able to come up and help your, you know, 31-year-old star sooner? How do you approach that pick? I'm taking the best available player. That's that's what I'm taking at that spot. And if that was a defenseman, I'd be taking a defenseman. And if that was a goaltender, I'd be taking a goaltender. So so it, that leads me into my next question. So you're on the clock. You're Stan Bowman. You're making that pick. Is your pick Alex Turcott? My pick is Alex Turcott. Okay, so one... one now, now the wrinkle in that is if if someone, you know, a number five were to come to him and say, we really like Zegris and, and we mm-hmm. don't think we can get him at five. We think four is going to take him. Can we jump into the three hole because we want Zegris or Bowen Byram, the top defenseman in the draft? That's where it gets really interesting because you got to be sure if you're locked in on Turcotte, 
that you're getting them, you know, wherever you would move down to. And that's the chess game, Matt. That's the, you know, that's the poker game. Mm-hmm. And and then you you might go to number four, and they might tell you, well, you know, we love Podolskin, the the you know the the, the, the Russian uh, the Russian player who's dropped quite significantly, arguably because he signed for two years in the KHL, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and some teams don't want to wait right at the very top. So, but I think if you've got a chance to take a player like Alex Turcotte, who, by the way, is a Chicago kid. Yep. And, we've heard that story here. Yeah. And, and you know, and and maybe maybe have him play at the University of Wisconsin for a year. And, and I'd be fine with that as well. And, you know, I think of, of Jonathan Taves playing two years at North Dakota, one pre-draft and one post-draft and mm-hmm. waiting and coming in that first year with with Patrick Kane. But uh, I really like Turcotte. I like what I've seen from him. I like the tenaciousness of him. And, you know, and, and from a timing standpoint, hard to argue that an 18-year-old is ready to step in the NHL. It's so unique, but he may be. What do you what do you think about, I wanted to ask Bowen Byram. Uh, we brought that name up there recently or briefly there. Um, his He seems to be the prevailing top defenseman uh, in, in the draft. Um, nobody, I don't, I don't think I've heard a said a bad thing about him, but do you think there's a shot the Hawks take him at three? Do you think they think more they have some defensive depth in that system because that's where they went in the draft the last couple of years? Yeah, they, you know, they've got a number of defensemen. I, 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 I'm going to say he, he might as many as six or seven young prospects in the yeah. last three drafts at defense. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of them have, have spent a couple years in college now. Ian Mitchell spent a couple years at Denver. Yeah, he was a second-rounder. Yeah, a couple years ago. Um You've got Chad Chris, who's now turned pro after three years at BU. You've mm-hmm. got uh, you know got Luca, Lucas Carlson, who had a pretty good year in Rockford. So you've you've got maybe as many as five or six. Adam Boquist, yeah, had a really good year in I London. Think, a real uh, Nick Bodan's going to Rockford now this year too, I believe. Exactly, and and Yoko Haru, I mean, he was. He looked pretty comfortable. With he you. was a strange case. He played pretty well. They sent him to the World Junior, and then. You just never really heard much from him again after that. That was a strange. But that yeah, made a conscious good. decision to let yeah. him develop in a different way too in Rockford through mm-hmm. the latter part of the season. So, from that standpoint, once again, I'm back. If Bowen Byram is that far ahead of Alex Turcott in my scouts rankings, then I'm taking him. Okay, uh, I'm not affected by the fact that I have that stockpile going. But it is an interesting stockpile because you've also got a group of mid twenty somethings on the Hawks right now, and then you've got you know the two old dogs and uh, and I use that term very affectionately and <laughs> the two established stars in in uh, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. And so you're locked into those two in their mid thirties. Then you got a group in your mid twenties. Then you got a group you know literally from eighteen to twenty one years old where you've got six or seven pretty good prospects you have to get one or two of those to hit in a big way Mm -hmm. they're they're in an interesting spot for sure because they still have that old core that that you're still trying to get one more run of without sacrificing the future of all those young pieces and trying to save enough cap space well i think really you're focused around if you take that core you know you're focused around kane and taves Mm -hmm. and and so you put they showed last year they're not done yet no Absolutely. And, you know, they, they both had magnificent years. So you've got to build around them. If I'm looking at tiers on the Hawks, I've got I've only got three forwards in that top tier. And Alex Dabrinkit is joining mm-hmm. Kane and Taves. And then I have actually I have Brendan Saad alone in the next tier. And then in the third tier, I'd have Anisimov and Dylan Strom, who I think has an upside. 
and then in that sort of fourth bandwidth, I'd have, you know, David Camp, the Perlini, yeah. Kajula, Hayden grouping, who can be depth forwards in the NHL. Perlini's got an upside um, of that group. Kajula can play, I think, in the top six on a limited basis. But, you know, I, I go back and say, you know, we haven't got to the potential of where $17 million in cap space may go. But I, I'm looking to add to the Kane Taves to Brinkett grouping um, and not just with the draft, you know, in an elite forward, but but through free agency. So then let's let's go there because you brought up $17 million in cap space. I know they got to worry about to Brinkett in a year, uh, Stroman a year, but they, they, for the first time in as long as I can remember, probably since they signed Marion Hossa, uh, they have some money to spend so you're you're in the gm chair for the blackhawks you got 17 million dollars to spend where are you going with it well um i'm i'm targeting a player that can help me right now and i'm looking at that list of um unrestricted free agents Mm -hmm. and the name anders lee just jumps right out at me yeah and it really does and he's an elite player He's uh, he's 28 years old. He'll be 29 shortly, and he's different than what they have. He's a different type of goal scorer than than Debrinket is. He's a front of the net goal scorer in that prime area. If you're looking at the playoffs and where goals are scored from in the playoffs, and you know, and you're thinking, you know, how do we get there um, to the front of that net? That's a big body. That's a 230 plus pound body. An elite, elite athlete. You know, I, you know, for listeners, I mean, he was an all-state quarterback in Minnesota. I did not know that. He was a first-team all-state quarterback in Minnesota, and his freshman year at Notre Dame was the Tommy Reese year oh, when the couple of quarterbacks got hurt. And the hockey team was afraid they were going to lose <laughs> Anders Lee to the, the football, football team. team. For real. That's... And that's pretty he's, wild. He's that elite. And there were two quarterbacks out of Minnesota at that time that both chose hockey. Mark Alt, um, the big defenseman, was an All-State quarterback. And his dad, John Alt, was a 13, maybe 13-time All-Pro with the Kansas City Chiefs, an offensive lineman. And, and then Anders Lee. And so just an elite, elite athlete. And, you know, I, I look at that list and I look at the possibility of you know, of plugging him in with a Jonathan Taves and figure out how you're going to use your guys, whether it's Kane and Debrinkat or, you know, however you fathom that out. But I really, really like the potential of plugging an Anders Lee into that lineup and seeing, you know, where that may fit. Now, you know, he's coming off a a $3.75 million cap hit. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm not sure what it takes. You know, he's averaged 34 goals over the last three years. And this is a guy that scores goals. But most importantly to me, uh, he has 33 power play goals over the last three years. And so this is a guy that scores power play goals. And yes, he's played with John Tavares for two of the previous years and Matt Barzell, but you get some pretty good forwards to go with him in Chicago there. So that's that's a player, the type of player I target. And when I say type of player, that's the player I target. Now, on the blue line, they obviously already made an addition in Ole Mata, um, who we've heard kind of some mixed things about here. Some say he, you know, he just had a down year last year. Some are saying you know, he might not be the same player he was. 
whatever you say about him, he's, you know, a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He might not be able to skate, but everybody says, you know, everything else he does is really good. So what are the Hawks getting Ole Mata? And is, is that a guy they can trust on a second pairing? Or where is, where is he at this point in his career? Yeah, I, I think he's probably in the four or five range right now. Okay, and so so he could play in the second pairing. Uh, I, don't, I don't. He's not a top pairing guy for me. Mm-hmm. And as much coming off of injuries, you know, I mean, he had the one really really tough year coming out of the lockout. No, was, I'm going back now. Um, lose track. I'm going to say his second year in the league had a really tough year injury wise, and then he's been banged up. You know, he's he's missed twenty plus games mm-hmm. in multiple years. He he did have one full season, um, but you've got to look at two years ago. He played eighty two games, and you know, can he be a thirty point guy? And can he move the puck? Can he contribute on the puck moving basis? And I think he can do that. He's a young guy for as much as he's played. He's only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he turns 25 this summer. So he he's still got that veteran savvy for a young guy. And once again, you talked about the championship pedigree. I don't mind adding two more Stanley Cup rings to that locker room. So I think that's a good pickup. I think moving Cahoon also speaks to the fact that you're going to go out in the free agent market for a forward wherever that may be yeah between the what they got out in free agency the couple international signings available Cahoon was a nice player but he was expendable at that point and obviously they needed to add to the blue line because last right. year's was a disaster um is, do you think that's it for their their blue line additions do you think they're going to go out to look for somebody either in the free agent market or through another trade no i you know i wouldn't surprise me if that's it and, and when we talked about the mid-20s range, you know, Colin Murphy's in that, Forsling's in that group. Mm-hmm. You, you've got that mid-20s group. So you take your two aces in, in number two and number seven, uh, and then you add two or three of the mid-20s group. And Colin Murphy would be one of them. Ali Mata would be one of them. And then pick one more from that mid-20s group. And then hope one of the young kids hits, whether it's Bo Quist or Yokoharu or, or one of the young guys is ready to play. And it's you know, and and the, you have to look at that and say, can they contribute? And because eighteen and nineteen year olds are playing in the National Hockey League, so mm-hmm. and you're only asking one of them. You know, we talked about as many as five or six in that group, most of whom will be in Rockford, and you have to get one of those kids in order, you know, to propel your team forward to play. So you've got really of that grouping the middle grouping is arguably the most important grouping Mm -hmm. because who's going to really emerge to a top four out of that group that's your question right yeah and you know and you have to get to a point i mean and colin murphy's an interesting one i think for me um never connor murphy rather he's never quite been what everybody wanted him to be and you know, but it could be Gustafson. And, you know, I don't, I don't mind Slater Cuckoo, who they picked up from Tampa Bay. So is one of those guys going to step in and say, okay, I'm a top four player? And, and arguably, Connor Murphy and Ole Mata, a left and right shot, should form a pretty good pairing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, could that be your 3-4 pairing? You brought up Gustafson, and that's that's an interesting name here because obviously last year he had the breakout year with 60-plus points, was only, I think, one of like eight defensemen or something in the league with that total. he's He's got, going into his last year, at a million and a half only of a cap hit, but naturally he seems like he's due for a raise and as prolific of a score as he was from the back end. His defensive responsibility was not great. Uh, the Hawks have a lot of those types of guys. Is that a guy you might consider not – shopping but selling high if you, if you can get the right offer get the right piece back 
Yeah, I, I think he, I think Stan Bowman has to look at, at pretty much anything in that group. Mm-hmm. You know, if he can improve his hockey team, and you know, I, I think about the days of a five-year plan when you'd go in and present a five-year plan and say, "Okay, we're just going to draft and develop," and it's a linear model essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that model's gone. I really do, and I think it's gone because of the Vegas Knights, because the Carolina yeah. Hurricanes, because of the St. Louis Blues, mm-hmm. and here's a team that was moving players ahead of the deadline last year. I mean, they traded Paul Stasny before the deadline last year. They were a couple of points out of the playoffs mm-hmm. and thinking that team wasn't good enough to win and we're going to keep tweaking and adjusting. And yes, the core of that team stayed together, but the core of your team has stayed together in Chicago. And, and a player we haven't talked about yet that's maybe the, the biggest piece of this whole equation is Corey Crawford. Oh, yeah. Because you take a, Corey, a healthy Corey Crawford last year, yeah, I mean, it's a if, if he was uh, not that the you know Cam Ward and Colin Delia didn't did an admirable job filling in much better than you know two years ago, but it, it wasn't the same team without Corey Crawford in that lineup for sure. No, um, it really wasn't. He gives you that veteran edge in in that, and you need that. And by the way, you take any starting goalie away from any team in the NHL, and and they can't compete. It's too hard to. It's very rare when you can do that and have a second guy step in and, and hold the balance. So. Uh, we also talked about Debrinket here. He's got, I think, going into the last year of his entry-level contract. He's obviously coming off those two huge years. Do you try and get that extension done July 1st? Do you kind of wait that thing out because his price tag's never going to be higher? How do you approach Alex Debrinket this summer? Because obviously he's the next to get paid and he needs to get paid. I might take the temperature a little bit to see what's happening. The, the elite group of RFAs right now, I think is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go, I mean, you know, starting south and you go Braden Point and you move up to Sebastian Ajo and then, you know, we don't talk a lot about Charlie uh, Charlie McAvoy in Boston. You've got uh, Miko Rantanen in Colorado. Colorado. You've got Timo Meyer in San Jose. And then you've got Brock Besser in Vancouver. You've got Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. You've got you got two problems in Winnipeg. You've got Patrick Liney and Kyle Connor. Mm-hmm. And Mitch Marner in Toronto garners as much attention as anyone does around here, as you might imagine, you know, I'm based in Toronto. And, you know, and, and if they just talk internally, they signed Austin Matthews to an $11.634 million extension. Well, Mitch Marner's led this team in scoring the last two years, so. not Austin Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think if you're Chicago, you take the temperature a little bit on what's going to happen around the league. I think you're going to see some shorter term deals. Um, you know, Matthew signed for five years only. And, you know, that brought a lot of angst among general managers because, you know, he's going to hit the market at 26 plus years old mm-hmm. and, you know, as, no, as an unrestricted free agent. And so I think you've, you take the temperature a little bit. You see what happens with the cap here. And if you can get to bring it long term. OK, so let's change gears just a little bit, Matt, and say, sure. I think from both player and team standpoint, the eight and seven year contracts are going to go by the wayside. And last year, uh, there was only one long-term contract, one seven-year deal in free agency on July 1st, and that was John Tavares. And the reason for that is twofold. One, you know, teams have locked into some bad ones. They've locked into some good ones too. Mm-hmm. But players have locked into some what they now consider bad ones. Yeah. So take two examples. Take Nathan McKinnon and, and take Mark Shifley and say, well, 
you know, McKinnon and Shifley, you've got two elite, elite players that are both going to be in the low sixes for three or four more years. Yeah. And so they're saying, you know, oh, wait a second here. You know, I'm locked in now and I'm watching guys blow by me and doubling me and I'm not even three years into my contract yet. Yeah. So, you know, players can't have it both ways. You can't lock in a seven-year deal and say, I've got the security of a seven-year deal and then say, but I'm miserable. <laughs> because three years into it, I'm underpaid. Well, you can't you, have it both ways. If you're miserable making in the low six millions, I, I very much envy your life. Okay, but if you're, <laughs> I know, if you're, I, I, you're I making know, in the I low know, sixes I know, and you're an MVP Austin candidate. Getting 11 and all. And, and by the way, you know, Austin Matthews has not won a playoff series. He's yeah. won one major award, and that was the Calder as a rookie. And he hasn't led his team in scoring the last two years. Mm-hmm. And so then if you're Mark Scheifele or Nathan McKinnon, you're going, well, wait a second here. You know, but once again, and, and I was a player personally that, you know, I was an, un, uh, an undrafted free agent. When I had an opportunity, Matt, to sign a five-year deal, I took the security of that and wrapped my arms right around it and didn't worry that after two years, somebody on my team was making more than me. You know, I had two young children. I had a five-year deal. That's life. Mm-hmm. And I chose the security of that deal. If you chose to play your contract year to year or you know two or three years at a time power to you and you know and you want to roll the dice on yourself i admire that as well but then don't complain that you don't have a long-term contract and if you sign a long-term contract don't complain that guys are blown by you now i got two real quick questions here before we before we let you go um, okay Outside impressions of Jeremy Colleton. Obviously, he's replacing a legend here. Um, at first, when they when he started, nobody really liked him here because of who he's replacing. But I think he started to grow on on the fan base and, and the city a little bit. Obviously, not as much as, as Coach Q. But what are the outside impressions of Jeremy Colleton? Do you think he is their long term answer here? Do you think adding Mark Crawford to that bench means maybe they don't think he is? Um, or what what is the outside sense of Jeremy Colleton? Well, I think that's a good addition to Mark Crawford because it's a veteran coach who's been a Stanley Cup winner and, you know, and, and is a proven guy. So I, I don't think, I don't view him as a threat to Jeremy Colleton. I think Jeremy Colton entered incredibly turbulent waters last year, obviously yes. replacing, you know, Joel Wenville. Yeah. Absolutely. And a very different style of coach. And you're walking into a locker room with a whole bunch of hardware in that locker room who'd been successful playing a certain way. So why would they want to accept a different way? Mm-hmm. And yet once they seem to embrace it, and I was at the Winter Classic game, and that's where it seemed to be starting to come around that time, that the Hawks started to play a faster game, a higher tempo game. So if I were to say to Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves, you know, if I, if I were a new coach and say, okay, I want you to shorten your shifts up, they'd look at me like, what do you mean shorten my shifts up? I'm... <laughs> I play as long as I want. Yeah. And then convincing that player, no, shorten your shifts up so I can get you right back out there and, and play you more in volume of minutes, but in shorter stints so you can play at a higher pace. Well, that Mm -hmm. takes adjusting. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been in the system that takes adjusting and it did take adjusting. And then you've also got to convince the forwards and defensemen to be better connected and closer connected. And, and that word connected became a huge mantra of Craig Berube in St. Louis. And when his team played well, he felt they were connected. Well, connected for me is a five-foot pass or an eight-foot pass or a 10-foot pass at high speed. It, you know, it's not 
a 110 foot pass to someone that's halfway up the ice or three quarters of the way up the ice. Mm-hmm. And so it took some time to adjust, but I think the players did adjust and I think they eventually embraced it. It's fun hockey to play, but it's different hockey to play. Uh, so uh, last one here. Um, obviously the Blackhawks are playing in one of the toughest, if not the toughest divisions in hockey. They, they flirted with the playoffs last year, but again, came up short. Uh, how close are they to getting back there? Or is it just kind of a crapshoot in that central division? Boy, oh boy, it's a really, really tough division. And this is a cyclical world world as well. It runs in cycles. And were you predicting the St. Louis Blues to win the Stanley Cup out of that? No. You know, (laughs) conference this year when most teams didn't pick the Blues to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You know, they had Winnipeg, Nashville, and Dallas coming out of that, you know, out of that division. And so... It's so hard right now in the National Hockey League. I think you're seeing a total revamping in Winnipeg. I wouldn't be surprised to see seven new players in their lineup um, next year. Maybe eight new players in their lineup. Um, Nashville hasn't started to go yet, and I think David Poyle will be very, very aggressive and active. If you make the playoffs in that division, quite frankly, you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and that's been proven this year. Yeah, that, that kind of seemed to be the sense last year was, you know, do you want to not tank, but just kind of let things go and go for the better draft pick? Do you want to push, make for the playoffs? And you know, and then well, a team once, like Chicago blows by you in the draft. But, you know, that's the way to do it. Once St. Louis made it as, you know, just kind of a, a team in the central it, this year more than any other, it just kind of showed all you got to do is get there in the NHL. And that's what I think makes those the, the best playoffs in sports. Exactly. But uh, thank you for joining us again. I could talk to you all day about hockey, but uh, you, you got places to be and things to do, and, and I do as well. So let's let's wrap this up. But, but thank you again for joining us, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again at uh, some point in the future here when something big happens. Always a pleasure, Matt. Good luck with everything there. Thank you. You too. So there you have it, a fantastic sit-down between uh, our Matt Rooney here on the Moose and Roots podcast and Dave Poulin. Uh, Matt, some very interesting things that uh, that Dave brought to light there. Yeah, you know, we're going to have a very interesting Friday night uh, and, and, and off, excuse me, off-season for the Blackhawks. But uh, mm-hmm. the, thing to think to, the thing to take away is that there's not one home run pick for the Hawks at three. There's a whole bunch of directions they can go, and it's just a matter of uh, which way Stan Bowman wants to go. Yeah, um, hopefully it is a, a seismic hopefully it's leap the right, in right. the right direction, <laughs> one that brings them back into playoff contention because it just did not feel the same without them this no, season. Well, no. one thing that we have gotten used to is uh, playoffs without the Bulls' presence. Oh, yeah. And uh, maybe, just maybe, Thursday's draft will be a step for the Bulls in, in, a, in a direction back towards the playoffs as well. But uh, here to tell us what we can expect – what to wait for and what not to expect now is uh, NBC Sports. Uh, I, I always I always box this here. NBC he's well, he, you know he's he's technically the Bulls host insider, but he's I, I he's know, our yeah, I know he's not. He's our, he's our Mister Everything. He's, he's Mister Everything. Bulls insider, Bulls analyst, Mark Chanowski. Who can set the court on fire? Welcoming on now, NBC Sports Chicago, anchor, reporter, jack of all trades, man of all bulls, Mark Shinowski. Uh, we have we have the mind that is with us now to break down a little bulls draft and talk uh, NBA world at large because there are storylines about Mark. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, we're getting close to the draft, and right now there's rumors all over the place. So I think it's yep. going to be an active trade night, but 
know, sometimes you anticipate that, and then uh, everyone just makes their picks and goes home. So we'll see which way it falls on Thursday. Let's play two truths and a lie here. What are two things you've heard that you believe and uh, one you think is garbage? Well, I think that New Orleans is going to trade out of four. Uh, I think okay. that's definitely going to happen. Uh, I think that David Griffin is looking for something other than just adding another rookie to his stable. I mean, Griffin has been very interesting since he's taken over as head of basketball operations for the Pelicans. Obviously, mm-hmm. when you get lottery luck and you get the first pick and you're going to get Zion Williamson, that kind of opens up a lot of options for you. But, mm-hmm. you know, they did well in the Anthony Davis trade, you know, getting a lot of future number ones from the Lakers, which could – you know, what we saw with the Brooklyn Nets Celtics trade from years past really came back to haunt Brooklyn for a long time. So we'll see if it's the same scenario. But I just feel like he's going to do something with that four pick and mm-hmm. whether it's trade down and get a couple more picks or, or pick, Further a veteran, yeah. pick a veteran guy. I think he's thinking about making the playoffs next year in New Orleans because of, you know, everything that's going on in the Western Conference. And I, I think he's, he's going to be really bold. Um, also, I think that uh, – Cleveland is probably going to make a move with their pick at five. You know, I think that they feel like they can trade down and pick up more assets because they're probably looking at a wing, you know, choosing between DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and maybe Jared Culver if he's still there. And they could probably trade down, pick up a pick, and, and, and still get the guy they want at seven or eight. So I think there's going to be movement within the within the top ten. And, and in terms of, of things that I heard that I, that I don't think are true, that would be, you know, the Knicks not taking R.J. Barrett. I think that yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a perfect fit for them. You know, they traded Tim Hardaway Jr. in that Porzingis deal last year. They need some wing scoring, and he's the best wing scorer in the draft. So I, I would think that, that uh, they're just going to go with what everyone expected and take Barrett at three. So Beautiful. you mentioned two teams possibly trading down. Our, our Bulls are sitting there at number seven. Obviously didn't quite get the pick that they were hoping for. Um, is there any chance that they are one of those teams that, you know, targets their guys, sees them available at four and five, or, and gets aggressive and jumps up for them? Well, I'll tell you what, if Ryan Pace, the Bears general manager, was running this draft, <laughs> they, they, they would definitely trade up because he seems to trade up every year to try to get the guy he wants. You know, got to go get your guy. <laughs> I, it, it's, basically, it's different, obviously, because in the NBA, you know, it's only two rounds, and once that cost control player, as you do in the NFL, but I, I feel like the, the problem right now for the Bulls is that they're looking at who's going to fall to seven, and you always hate to give that future asset up and then realize maybe you could have had your guy anyway. I don't really know how much the Bulls are enamored with Kobe White. You know, he's been the guy that's been linked to them throughout this process, but he's not really a, a pure point guard. Um, I think that they feel like he could play with Zach Levine because he's a decent spot-up shooter, and, and Zach likes to have the ball in his hands a lot, so Maybe that works, but there's also a good chance Phoenix, which desperately needs a point guard, takes Kobe White at six. So if the draft falls away, a lot of people are forecasting where Garland goes four or five, Kobe White goes six, then you're sitting there at seven, and the music is stopped, and you're not sitting in a chair. So we'll see what happens with that. I, I think that they would consider it, but, you know, GMs hate to give up future number ones. Yeah. And if you're going to try to get New Orleans interested at you know, the trade four, or Cleveland interested to trade five, you're going to have to say, we'll give you next year's number one. Maybe you could get top ten protection on it where it wouldn't hurt quite as much if you have another mm-hmm. bad season. But, you know, I I think they're going to explore it. I just know that because David Griffin's holding an auction for four, it might take more than just next year's number one. And I think at that point the Bulls would say, hey, it's too rich for our blood. Yeah. So say the Bulls do 
sit back at seven like you like you expect them to do. What 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 direction do you expect them to go? Who do you think Gar and Pack secretly want or hope falls to them? I guess at number seven, who do you think they have targeted in their in their head as their their number one guy? They hope is sitting there. And just well, to preface it's... before you go, Mark, I'm sorry, but I believe you did make a hundred percent accurate call in last year's draft here on this podcast. So. No, no pressure on on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we gotta try to keep that streak going. Yeah, that's I, right. I think that I think that they would like to see Jared Culver fall to seven, but I think that's really unlikely. He's done well in the in the individual team workouts, and I know a lot of teams like him. Uh, the way I see it, you're going to see some combination of Culver Garland at four or five, and and I, I just don't think he's going to fall to seven. So if if Phoenix does take Kobe White at six, then what you're looking at is three wing players that they've had they've had in and, and are interested in, and that would be DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and the kid from France, Sekou Domboye. Uh, one of those three would probably be the pick, and the problem with that is, you know, then you're strictly going best athlete available because mm-hmm. they've got that small forward position stocked for at least the next two years with Otto Porter Jr. and Chandler Hutchison, who they drafted in the first round last year. So, you know, I, it's, it would be a pick just based solely on, you know, a long-term possible fit you know porter jr could leave after his contract expires in two years and then maybe you're looking for a starting three and then the kid you draft uh tomorrow night may turn out to be the perfect pick you know you yeah. can never say that just because he's not going to start next year that he's not going to be a starter down the road and the bulls bench was was just horrendous last year let's be honest about it a lot of that was due to injury where they had to force you know deep reserves into, into meaningful roles and they had nothing to bring off the bench but they've got to solidify that second unit and if you added one of those three guys they mentioned, or if somehow Culver fell to seven, that mm-hmm. player would instantly be your sixth man and probably be a guy you lean on heavily to provide some scoring off the bench. You know, Mark, depth being the topic at hand here, um, we've heard a lot about the talent level dropping off after three, four in this draft. But you know better than anyone, and you look at these drafts, and you look at these players deeper in the draft, and you've given us names in the past. How do you feel about the depth of this crew? I've seen 101 guys come to the Golden One Center doing second-round workouts um, thus far, and there's been some talent out there in my eyes. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, you know, in terms of, of the draft, it, you know, there's, there's some guys that late in the first round or early in the second could probably, you know, play rotation roles for a lot of teams in the league. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you look at kids like Carson Edwards from Purdue, who's undersized but can really shoot it the way the league has gone. You know, I think he'll he'll stick on somebody's team as a solid rotation guy. I like uh, Admiral Schofield from Tennessee. He's a Chicago area kid who really played well at Tennessee. I think he could have a meaningful role off the bench. A uh, kid from Arizona State named Lugan Stort, who's a who's a very athletic shooting guard. You know, there are some players that are going to be in that early second round that I think uh, you know can maybe help solidify some teams' benches. And and you know, the Bulls right now. The only guys they have for sure that they can call, call on that bench are, are Hutchison and Denzel Valentine. You know, the rest mm-hmm. of it is, is just a work in progress. And Valentine's coming off reconstructive ankle surgery, so you don't know exactly what he's going to be like as the season begins. A lot of question marks there on, on that second unit, and, and, you know, the Bulls have to strengthen that. Uh, John Paxson's talked about he's hoping to add two or three uh, quality veterans and free agency. So I think that's where most of the moves will be made to try to make sure that that second unit is going to be a positive instead of a negative. And, you know, between that and the draft, they could have a, a fairly deep team going into training camp, but we thought that last year, and then, you know, they lost three guys right off the bat in the first <laughs> yeah. couple weeks of the season. 
So you, you've told us what you think uh, Gar and Pax are going to do, whether you think they're going to trade up or not, all that stuff. But I want to ask if, if general manager Mark Shanowski is sitting the, in the chair and he has mm-hmm. the seventh pick. I like the draft, sound of that. I right? like the sound I, I, of that. I, I, you know, I kind of do, too. <laughs> uh, but, you know, obviously we don't know who's falling to seven. But ideally, who are you the, hoping would be the one to fall to seven? And is there a name in this draft that if you were running the show and fell to four or five, would be willing to trade up for that you think is good enough to go out and get? Well, John Paxson's made no secret of the fact they want to upgrade at the point guard position. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was I was excited about the in the Jimmy Butler trade that they got Chris Dunn. I thought he was going to be a really good NBA point guard, and and he's still young enough where maybe eventually he'll stay healthy and, and he will develop into uh, an above average NBA point. But right now, what we've seen through, through his two years in Chicago, you know, whether it's injury or just a bad fit of the roster. He just hasn't shown what we saw at college, and I, and I think they're ready to move on and, and try, you know, a different approach at that position. So, you know, I made the, the joke about Ryan Pace earlier, but I would I would do what he's been doing. If you identify a guy you like, go get him. The Bulls have been to Los Angeles to watch Darius Garland work out. I know that early in the season, obviously he only played four games before he got hurt, um, but the Bulls scouted him. They identified him as a guy that they, they were intrigued by and, and wanted to do further work on. If you really like the guy, if you think that the comparisons to Dame Lillard are legitimate, go get him. So, you know, I know I know we talked earlier about the value of draft picks in a, in a league where you only have 15 players on the roster and really only eight that are in your rotation. You, you hate to give away those draft picks. But if the Bulls think that making a move to get a point guard, bringing a couple of quality vets, gets them at least close to playoff consideration, make the move because that yeah. first-round draft pick next year is going to be small somewhere between, let's say, 12 and 18, mm-hmm. and that's not that much to give up. So, you know, you have to have – if you're going to make a move up, you have to have confidence that you're going to improve enough next season where it's not going to kill you to give up, you know, a, a pick in the 5 to 10 range. You hope that you're further back in, in the lottery or maybe you get the 7th or 8th spot in the playoffs and, and it's not even a concern. I would I would try to trade up and get Garland. That, that's that's what I would do. And if 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 you can't make the move because some other team makes a better offer, you go to seven. I would take Cam Reddish just based on the fact that everyone loved him coming into Duke. He had a mm-hmm. you know a subpar season for a variety of reasons, but that that shooting touch is pure. Uh, I think you know in the right offense, the right structure, he could be a really productive player. And you know he fits the part. You know the kid's six eight. He's he's athletic. He can he can finish above the rim. Uh, I would take a chance on, on his upside. So if you don't trade up for Garland, I, I'd go reddish at, at seven. So all, all things considered, a potential move up, if nothing else, would be a vote of confidence from, from Bulls brass that they think that they're at least in the right place. Right, because I, I think that at some point you have to look at your roster and go, you know what, we have enough young guys. We mm-hmm. the youngest team in the NBA last season. Don't worry about a 2020 first-round pick when you're already going to add a guy at four, possibly add a guy if you trade up, possibly another guy at 38, and you're looking at your roster and it's nothing but guys, you know, in that 21 to 27 range. Yeah. You're young enough. You know, you don't yeah. worry about protecting that 2020 first-round pick. Now, the counter-argument, of course, would be, well, look what happened this year. Uh, New Orleans, Memphis, the Lakers all moved up when they were in uh, in the 8 to 11 range, so you're, you're, you're giving away that chance. Well, you know, it's a lottery and it's luck. And if you're based, if you're building your franchise based on lottery luck, uh, good luck with that. <laughs> no. Yeah, because uh, lottery luck plus uh, some free agency uh, luck will, will get you places. And I want to zoom out to 
kind of 30,000 feet here, Mark, and talk about just the state of the league right now and these short-term uh, player-first contracts that we're seeing have started to overlap and time up at similar times, and we're seeing faces like Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis. Now I know Davis through trade, but Kawhi Leonard destined for possibly uh, New Horizons, the same with D.B. The superstar movement that we've seen and continue to see because of these types of contracts, where are you positioning this in kind of the history of the league? And I know you've watched a ton of basketball and you've watched this league grow and develop. Do you think this musical chairs type superstar era we're in right now is sustainable or is it good for the league? Well, what really happened is we're in the era of the empowerment of the player. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for decades, the owners had all the control where, you know, players were locked into long-term contracts and didn't have a lot of rights, of course. Then we went through the free agent era where we saw some movement, but still, you know, most of the, the teams being able to retain their stars. Now, the players are their own corporations, and they dictate where they want to go and who they want to play with. And for whatever reason, uh, the leagues have not found a mechanism that's attractive enough to keep players on their existing teams. Now, I, I'm not against players having free agent rights and the ability to go wherever they want, but I would like to see the NBA have some kind of system like the NFL does where you have some kind of uh, franchise player tag where yeah. if you are in Oklahoma City and which is in a small market and you develop a Kevin Durant or the case of Milwaukee now with Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, if the Bucks take a step backwards next year, get knocked out in the first or second round, I almost guarantee you're going to hear Giannis rattling, the, you know, or his agent rattling. <laughs> Giannis in New York? We, we got to go somewhere because we can't win in Milwaukee because free agents yep. don't want to cut, you know. And that, and that and that's tired and that, and that's that's bad for fans. I mean, obviously, next year is going to be as wide open as we've seen it in a long, long time because of the unfortunate injuries that happened to Golden State in the finals. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think that when, when a you know, small market team makes a good draft pick, you would love to see a mechanism in place where they'd be able to retain that player and I know that there's there is a system right now where you can offer an additional year and higher percentage raises every year. But as I mentioned, these guys are their own corporations. Between the money they get from shoe deals, outside endorsements, yeah, that's, that's not that know, big of an incentive. That money, yeah, that money's not going to be enough to get them uh, to decide that, that they're going to stay in that smaller market because they know that they can make up that money elsewhere. Uh, there, there are a lot of issues that the league has to deal with, but right now, uh, I think that. The super team concept, while it didn't work this year, but that was only because of the injuries to Golden State, mm-hmm. is something that you know I think has hurt the league in a lot of ways. At the beginning of this season, there were probably only three or four teams that had a realistic hope of winning the championship, and you know as I said, next year that could expand to about eight to ten. But that's yeah, only because of circumstances that no one could have predicted. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take us a little bit back to the Bulls here, keep us in free agency. You said even on this podcast before you think, you know, Derek Rose, Patrick Beverly are, are options for the Bulls in this free agency. With with Kyrie Irving being a free agent, obviously looking like he's leaving Boston. One of the rumors is Brooklyn. Brooklyn's point guard, D'Angelo Russell, is a restricted free agent. Basically, I'm pitching you my dream scenario of the Bulls <laughs> offer sheeting D'Angelo Russell and signing him. So please tell me how realistic or unrealistic that uh, that scenario might be because I think he'd be a, a perfect fit for exactly what the Bulls need and, and kind of where they're going. Well, I hate to burst your bubble. Yeah, I know. I was waiting but, for it. But that dog, for that it. dog won't hunt. You know, his, <laughs> okay. his, max, his max would start at $27 million. And, and the Bulls could get there. You know, right now they have about $20 million in cap space. And you can always create more if if that's your intention. I just think they look at it as – D'Angelo Russell's 
first four years in the league are, were kind of a roller coaster. You know, he was drafted second by L.A., um, had some growing pains there with immaturity and didn't really fit in that well. Then he went to Brooklyn, credit to him. He really improved himself, and uh, he did make the all-star team last year as an injury replacement, which I always put an asterisk by. But still, you know, he was definitely one of the top 15, 16 players in the East, which is quite an accomplishment the way he started with the Lakers. I just don't. Man, I just don't see him as a great fit with Zach because they're both ball-dominant type of guys. Mm. And and I, I just think with Zach, as I mentioned earlier, you need a guy who's content to maybe run to that weak side corner and wait for the ball to find him, you know, mm-hmm. on a reversal or a driving kick. And I just don't see D'Angelo Russell's being that guy. His his jumper has improved, but I think it's still a little bit erratic in three-point range. Um, you know, some team is really going to be happy to get him. I think a team in the Bulls division, the Indiana Pacers, will make a strong move to get him because they're probably going to let two of their three-point guards go, and, and they have a lot of cap space. Indiana's one of those those teams because of the market they're in. They, they don't they don't have much luck getting free agents, but they've done a good job of, of putting together a nice roster. They were the fifth seed in the in the East, I believe, the last two years, and they're going to get Oladipo back from injury. I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, D'Angelo Russell winds up with the Pacers. Uh, I think the Bulls are going to be more modest in their in their free agent pursuits. If they don't get a point guard in the draft, that will certainly be their number one priority in free agency. I could see them making an offer to Malcolm Brogdon of Milwaukee because he, he kind of fits all the things I talked about, spot-up shooter, good positional size, um, you know, a guy who can defend a little bit. I think that he would be a guy that they might extend an offer to that would still be a, be a big number but wouldn't be at $27 million like D'Angelo. All right, I just got one quick question to wrap up here with. Uh, Houston seems to be headed for a breakup there with James Harden and Chris Paul after what we started to see yesterday. I just gave him my dream scenario of D'Angelo Russell, which you shot down. Please shoot down my nightmare scenario of uh, the Bulls somehow pulling off a trade for Chris Paul because I saw that there was some sort of, you know, a couple of weeks ago there was that rumor on Twitter that Gar Pax was interested in that. Please tell me there's no shot of that happening either. No shot. That's, that's not going to happen. Oh, I mean, when you consider Chris Paul is what thirty four now, and he's due like uh, who's going to want that his, contract? Like, it, how is he going to dump him? I can't imagine. You know, I've seen some things. You know, on social media with people throwing out trade scenarios, and, and they all just make me laugh. I mean, like, why would anybody want to take a player who's clearly breaking down mm-hmm. that salary number? You know, Chris Paul used to be the uh, the president or vice president of the Players Association, so. He, he made sure he got every last dollar. And, you know, <laughs> Houston is regretting, you know, the, the minute they signed that contract, I think they regretted it. Now with all the, the stuff that's being publicized about the fallout between him and Harden, how are those guys going to possibly coexist over the next few years? And they're not going to trade Harden. So I can't imagine how many first-round picks and what other assets you would have to attach to Chris Paul to get somebody to take that contract. The only team I could think of that, that might be desperate enough to do it would be Boston after everything that's happened to him. You know, with Al Horford saying now that, that, mm-hmm. that he's going to opt out and probably go to another team. You know, maybe if you made it attractive enough, and, and I don't even know how they would fit him in under their cap because they've already got Gordon Hayward at a big number. Although they're going to create some space at both Kyrie and, and Horford. Yeah. I yeah. think Boston's the only team that might, might out of desperation, do something. But, but I, you know, Danny Ainge is probably too smart for that. Yeah, I I think so. Mark, uh, as always, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, before we let you go, better chance here, uh, as, as I long for my college years once again, better chance of being back in Chicago, Robbie Gold or Derrick Rose? Oh, I would, I, would say, I would say Robbie Gold. Okay. Because <laughs> I like that. 
he's been trying to force the trade, and and yeah. you know, the Bears have seen with this with this kicking derby they've had through the offseason. Mm-hmm. It's it's been amusing from a media perspective, but I don't know how productive it's been. You know, they've been trying all these different scenarios to unnerve kickers, and they're mm-hmm. winning because the guys are just collapsing right in front of them. So and he's I, Robbie I, Gold I, sending subliminals from the putting yeah. green at Medina. It was given, he, he was he was kicking forty three year uh, forty three yard field goals that day on Twitter the right, day that they right. reported that all three Bears kickers missed it. <laughs> yeah. He tweeted a video of him kicking a forty three yard. I can do it too. <laughs> and because we've uh, talked about Ryan Pace a few times in this podcast, we know how aggressive he is. So I, I could see that happening. Um, you know, I'm a big Derrick Rose fan, it, and yeah. it would be a fantastic story to see him come back to Chicago and play as well as he did for most of the season in Minnesota. I just don't think that that's going to happen, but um, I, I, I'd be up for seeing it. I just think that it's it's, it's less likely than uh, the Bears reaching out to try to get Robbie back. Well, here's I the like it. Let's hope here's, oh, here's the here's the here's the Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark, as always, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for the time. We know you're a busy man in these wee hours as the uh, NBA draft approaches, and as always. Uh, you can get Mark on Twitter. I believe it's at uh, M. Chanowski or Mark Chanowski. It is at Mark Chanowski. At Mark Chanowski. They just have to figure out how to spell it, and they'll be fine. And <laughs> hey, hey, head over to the My Teams app. Head over to Twitter to NBCS Bulls. The, the the amount of time and effort that the, the Bulls team has been putting into these draft on-the-clock spotlights for all these prospects is fantastic stuff. Head over there, learn some stuff about some players, and then, then pick and choose which one you want. Maybe tweet it at us. You know, it's funny, Matt, because every time we put out a new one and the flood of comments from people that say, I don't want that guy coming in, <laughs> I always have to put the disclaimer, this is a series of reports on prospects. I'm not advocating. I'm not saying I want him. I'm just telling you about him. <laughs> well, we've, we appreciate the hard work, as always, uh, Mark, and thank you for stopping by. Joe, Matt, thanks for having me. Keep up the great work. Anytime. You got it. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. I like to buy 500 shares of Animotion Incorporated. Animotion is up an eighth after plunging 75 points this morning. Hey, cuz, heard you having money problems. No, no, no. They're all selling their five. I can't believe you put your money in that Centrex. You could have invested in my rollout tie dispenser. You can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up a butcher's ass, but then, no, it's got to be your bowl. I declare bankruptcy! And that right there, folks, is what we are talking about and why we bring in a professional like Mark Shinowski. He's got all the inside stuff. He's got the angles you don't think of. And uh, he's kind enough to come on to the Moose and Ruth podcast. Now, I believe that was uh, appearance number four. I, th- I think that's three. He, that's got to be close to four. He's to, leader today. in the clubhouse. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say leader in the clubhouse. I, I believe he's the leader in the clubhouse. And I believe our first interview is right behind him at second. So we, we are fortunate enough to have yeah. two uh, – experts in their field who are much smarter than we are come and, and, yeah. and talk to us about some stuff so again not afraid to go to the bullpen when we have to do it joe that's that's, that's, right. that's we got, a, it's a sign of a great most manager in, most importantly we got strong arms in there okay yeah we got strong arms in there and uh they come out and they, they do us well so thank you again to dave Poolin and mark shinowski for coming on this draft special of a pod we have going here but let's get stupid again let's do our thing how's that's, that sound? that's that's always fun too let's jump into a little bit of buy or sell matt you want to go first i would love to go first because we just had the u.s open and uh you were there uh, I'm, I I'm, I, as, as fun as it was, as awesome as Gary Woodland's win was, as electric as Brooks was to start that, I, I, w- I want to bring this back to Tiger because okay. as much as, of a as golf podcast as we are, we're a Tiger podcast. I mean, let, let's be real. 
Uh, he looked a little uncomfortable on the course, looked like he was a little bit stiff, not moving all that well. I kind of think that was the weather. I'm not the only one thinking there. So I'm going to ask you, buy or sell, Tiger ever wins a non-warm weather major again? And I, I don't really, I, I, I'm not going to put a number on that, but I mean, you can kind of see the mm-hmm. environment and feel it. Yeah, it, you know, that's a, that's a tough one to forecast because you don't know, you know, what percentage his back is at and his body is at and if there's a possibility to get better and with more time away from that, he's going to be able to, you know, if he's going to be able to stay on top of something like a back through his mm-hmm. 40s. But at the same time, um, we saw what we saw over the weekend. It, it did not look good. He did look uncomfortable. We saw the K tape on the neck again. Yeah. Um, so he definitely was dealing with some stuff. He was, you know, even making club selections regarding his body almost. And I think once he got out of contention, he kind of put driver away. Um, and in a lot of situations, it, it would have benefited him. Instead, he he elected to lay back. So he understands the reality of it. And as mm-hmm. long as he understands the reality and he's not pushing himself too far, we'll continue to see him contend in certain tournaments. But it is going to be a pick-and-choose situation. That's why um, I kind of thought of you a little bit when, when we oh, started seeing nice these issues. Uh, when we started seeing these issues with the cold weather and the creaky back, I don't know if a British sets up nicely for him. Because yeah. we, we, we had kind of positioned it in our heads as that was where he was going to succeed. It's because shorter courses, rollouts, knowledge, irons off tees, getting up and down like the intangibles of a European game. But when you factor in like 40 windy and a little bit of rain, you know, Tiger's back isn't really going to isn't going to really respond. So maybe we just see him as a back to back to back to back to back master's, master's guy. Yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's I think it's a gust or bust at this point or, or you know, maybe when uh, when the PGA heads down to Kiowa in a couple of years, yeah. he's got that nice, warm, humid weather. PG, PGA heads down to Kiowa, U.S. Open, I believe, goes back to Wingfoot, if I'm not mistaken, uh, next year. That sounds right. I don't know off the top of my head, though. I'm not going to pretend like I do. Yeah, but I think um, we get a couple of warm weather U.S. Opens. This is, uh, you know, not, no pun intended, this is, I think, the albatross in the group. You usually get a warm weather U.S. Open. Yeah, but now Pebble you know, didn't quite about, play that way. Yeah, we're talking about the Monterey Coast where you could get misty and cold in the middle of July. Yeah. Why? It's just a really interesting climate there. Um, and to be honest with you, being out there, um, the uh, the softies out here in California were making much ado about nothing. Now, it wasn't my... California It wouldn't have been, been my... It wouldn't have been my ideal playing situation, but it was still uh, the day I was there on Friday, and I know that wasn't the worst of it. I think Saturday was the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, Sunday was a little chillier, but it was 62 with overcast cloud cover and a breeze, and people were in parkas. So, um, What's well, cold it, out there for you guys? It, I guess like it just it wasn't as drastic as everyone was making it out to be. I guess is my um, uh, my estimation of it, but um, still enough for for Tigers back to get into knots and, and take him right out of contention. But he grinded, and the mental game was there because that, that was my biggest takeaway. On Sunday, he could have turned it off. He could have. I almost got to the point after his fourth bogey on Sunday in the first six holes where I was like, is Tiger going to pack it in here and like claim that you know back's too sore and is he going to like WD? And I was like, Tiger WD does terrible things for both our psyche and his. Yeah. So I, I was really excited to see him turn it around, finish with what I believe was uh, six birdies in his last 12 holes. Yeah, he, he showed a little bit of fight. He still had yeah. a little bit of fight left, <clears> then, which was nice. Birdie at 18, gave the crowd a roar, but um, no, it was, um, it, it was not the showing we wanted from Tiger, but... 
to buy or sell, which I don't believe I have yet. You have not bought or sold. Okay. I am going to buy the fact that Tiger is a warm weather major guy now because um, I I, I think we'll learn a lot more at the British next month, um, depending on the weather that we see out there. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that it just sets up better for his body. It Um, seems that way. And if he's going to get one that isn't, it's probably the British simply because of what we talked about. I mean, we saw last year he almost went out and took it, though. The weather was that's partially I think because the weather cooperated with him last year. What do you um, make of uh, what do you make of major champion Gary Woodland? Do you think we see a little a little streak here, a little run because he played some masterful golf this weekend? You know, I, I'm not sure we're going to see a you know a, a run much more than what I mean. I think we'll see him continue to contend. He's got a name that's always yeah. up there, but he's all, also already 35, and it very well could be that he just kind of got hot on a weekend. But yeah. that's not to take away from anything he did. You know, I mean, down the stretch, he was staring the. You know, two-time defending U.S. Open champion, probably best player in the world in the face. And can we just know, he, can we just call it how it is? Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland is Brooks 1.0. He's like the oh, yeah, oh, version of Brooks. Hundred percent. They they took Gary Woodland to a lab and like tweaked a couple things and made Brooks Kepka is essentially what happened. Pretty much. And then that, I mean that <laughs> shot that shot off the green was just was on yeah, 17 that, was just onions. That was that I needed nipped wedge. That I needed Raftery making that call and just giving me an onions double order. After that. <laughs> Fantastic, uh, but no, it was definitely an entertaining tournament. I think for all the flack that we've given the USGA in the past, um, it's set up beautifully. Shout out to my guy over at Pebble Beach. He got so many shout outs on the broadcast, but uh, I've been lucky enough to do a couple stories with him. Chris Dahlhammer, the uh, superintendent. A, that is there. a great name, right? And a great guy. He actually wasn't even like a golf guy growing up. Um, I could send you the link to my story, but uh, he wasn't even like a golf guy growing up. His dad owned a landscape company, and he just kind of found his way into golf through like course maintenance. And now he's the superintendent at Pebble Beach for about 12 years going now. And they did just a fantastic job of, you know, toughening that place up to a U.S. uh, open level, but not letting it get away from them. And um, whether that was the cold weather and lack of sun allowed them to kind of tweak the course um, little by little. Um, whatever it was, uh, I think it was the perfect test for a U.S. Open. Yeah, no free ads, but guys, get over there and read Joe's, read Joe's article. Yeah, there's free ads for my work. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a CBS 13.com, search Muso. It's a search All right, Matt, I'm going to take us to the next one here in Buy or Sell. It has been the big news across the NBA landscape. Big news. I believe we briefly touched upon it a little bit there with Mark. We did. Um, Maybe just in just in passing, but I want to get to, I want to get your temperature on it as well. Matt, buy or sell? Anthony Davis makes the Los Angeles Lakers favorites in the West heading into next season. I mean, I think right now you have to buy it because at each roster as is, we don't know what Golden State's going to look like now. If KD opts out and Golden State's able to, you know, get somebody to come there, uh, obviously Clay won't be back until you know, February, but once they get back him back too, if they're able to lure like a Jimmy Butler type over there too, then they got a pretty big, big, pretty good big three. But as the rosters stand now, I think you have to buy it, right? Uh, You have LeBron and Anthony Davis at Houston. You don't know what they're going to look like because as talented as they are, they clearly don't like each other. Mm -hmm. Um, At Portland had put it all together. It seemed last year up until golden state. So they got a a nice one, two punch. And if they get use of Nurkic back, he's pretty good too. Um, But I think the favorite probably has to be, LeBron at this point, right? Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy that, but I, I think it's it. I don't if think it's, it's a runaway, but I would. If it's it. Lakers or the field, I'm taking the field just because they have some issues right now, and they have six rostered players and mm-hmm. sixty four million dollars of cap space, uh, and excuse me, thirty four million dollars of yeah. cap space, I believe, and 
that essentially means you need to go pay 10 guys almost minimum or, or nine, eight guys almost minimum. But they still have this pipe dream of going out and getting Kemba Walker, and he's going to be a $20 million hit minimum a year. So mm-hmm. I, just don't, I just don't know how they construct a roster around AD and LeBron. And as good as they are and as dominant of NBA forces as they are, LeBron has had his best success with a supporting cast laden with shooters. Mm-hmm. Think about his time yeah. in Miami. It's Mike Miller. It's uh, Mario Chalmers. It's Ray Chris Bosh even. Got to be a Chris Bosh even. When you think about uh, Cleveland, Kyrie, one of the best shooting guards, one of the best shooting point guards in the league. Um, you had Kyle Korver there. You had you know a, a bunch of guys surrounding him that then you know, were not only compliment pieces, but were outlets to where double teams were coming and he was they were just running drive and kick. Mm-hmm. I imagine what they're gonna do with Anthony Davis and LeBron James is LeBron's gonna either bring the ball up the court or he's gonna call for it as the ball gets across the court. They're gonna run they're gonna run pick and roll at the top of the key. LeBron needs an option outside of the roll. He needs an outlet. He needs an outlet. He needs that how Mark was just talking about that weak corner kick uh, to where he can just toss it out there for an easy three points I, you know those those guys don't grow on trees they do cost a little bit of money so i just don't know how la constructs a roster can i tell you who the favorite in the west is other than them if i had to forecast and hypothetically move forward i'd say Kawhi's clippers right now are the Kawhi's uh, clippers are the favorites in the west in my eyes uh you know that, that's a good point and i get it's just it's a tough question to ask right now because everything is There's still, so many so, questions. It's, it's all so incomplete and it's not only headed into the off season, we're headed into the most unpredictable off season that there is. So I mean, yeah. there's there's so many things that can happen between now and, you know, October. Um, I think the only thing we can guarantee is that it's going to be fun to kind of take a back seat and watch it all happen. All right, I'm gonna. I am going to give you a uh, a baseball question, Joe West. I think we touched on it at the beginning of the podcast briefly, but we're still riding high from Big last fan. night's uh, White Sox stunning upset victory that nobody really Eloy. saw coming. Eloy uh, somehow Ivan Nova um, put together yep. an outing which was wild. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the young guns here. Stick to Eloy. Buy or sell last night's home run was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two parts this year. The, the biggest home run and mm-hmm. the biggest moment in the White Sox organization since Jim Tomey's homer in the blackout game, since that game was won. I'm trying to rack my brain and think of moments in the interim. I'm not um, sure there's an on-field moment that you can point to that you can say. The the only one that sticks out to me, maybe a little bit, and I don't even think you can call it like a moat, was Chris Sale, Chris Sale cutting up the jerseys. I, <laughs> well, that, that, that was the final straw. Uh, I was going to oh, say God. maybe Giolito's complete game shutout against the Astros. Okay. That, but okay. like, as awesome as that was, it didn't have like the magnitude, the feel to Eloy's home run last night. Uh, you know where my mind immediately went, and this is a, this is the way back machine, and it was a day game, and it, uh, Jim, it was Jimmy Rollins' home run in Oakland that oh, the 16th, first weekend. No, of the year. no, I remember no, no. That game winning Jose, two run home run. Jose Valentin's walk off oh, on the God. south side yeah. in uh, Crosstown. I, I do remember that. That's like my Crosstown memory. So to I guess position it in a different way, um, it's also. In terms of uh, Sox positive, the biggest crosstown moment in a very, very long time. Yeah, I, I don't. So I'll buy it. It's I'll a, buy it. I think you have to, which I don't know if that says much about the moment no, itself it says, or the it says, White Sox organization. But it says way, how bad the last decade has you been. You know what, what it says, Matt? It's baby, it's baby steps. <laughs> that it is. Uh, Matt, uh, buy or sell? 
I got to set this up a little bit here. Okay. Now, John Fox, a former defunct coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, I don't know what, what was it on ESPN? What platform? Was uh, it was, it was whatever, NFL Live or whatever one of those shows that he's Something doing these the days. Yeah. Um, he's out there uh, filibustering and uh, claimed that the Bears had the worst off uh, off season league wide. Uh, buy or sell uh, John Fox's comments. Now those comments were rooted in their uh, handling of the kicker situation. I don't really know how you can say that they went out and you know they didn't pay a couple people, but they they got some nice additions onto their defense. There, obviously, the kicking situation is um, still needs to be addressed, and I think they're still working on it. And that's they're still working on it, partially in thanks to what John Fox did while he was still here running Robbie mm-hmm. Gold out of town. Um, but no, I don't think you could say that. I think everybody who watched their drafts said they have a good draft. I think all their free agency free agent signings were for the most part what they needed. Um, it wasn't the most active, but I, I'm, not, I'm not going to call it the worst. I mean, the, the Jets went out and signed the biggest free agent in uh, of the entire class and then went and fired their GM because he signed that. Um, so yeah, I think there's some turmoil there. I think you can point to the New York Giants and say, what is going on there? Um, and those are just two off the top of my head. I didn't really even have time to think of who might have been worse. But no, the Bears did not have the worst offseason in, in the NFL. And I'm going to sell that very hard. I'd have to agree with you, Matt. Yeah. You got Done. anything else? Uh, no, I don't. Well, I, 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 got, I, got, a I got a bonus. I got a bonus. I don't um, have a sounder, but pretend I just hit a bonus sound. Bonus buy or sell. There you go. That was good. That was good. That was good. That was really that good. For later yeah. if you want to. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, Matt, that's a good sounder. Buy or sell. Um, the... Uh, the batting practice exhibition that was uh, exhibition's my word of the day today. Um, the batting practice exhibition that was by Matt Serger. I don't know if you saw or if uh, or if our listener saw. If not, go check it out. Uh, he will be missing some time after bunting a ball off his own little face. Bit. Um, he uh, he bunt, uh, There's no other way to explain that. He bunted, he bunted a, ball a ball off his face. Off his own face. Uh, broke his nose. I don't even know what the buy or sell is here. I just wanted to bring it up. So, yeah, Matt, buy or sell pitchers are people, too. I don't know. What what, uh, what are we well, getting at here? Ironically enough, I'm, I have the MLB Network on TV right in front of me. And as I looked up as you were finishing that question, I saw a slow-mo version of Scherzer <laughs> bunting that ball into his face. Um, I think pitcher, pitchers, I guess, need to be better athletes. Don't miss a batting practice fastball that badly with a bunt, I guess, is, is do you what think we take eyes, away from this. Do you think his eyes change colors? Because uh, he's got two ooh, different color maybe, eyes. Maybe, maybe that's the same color now. Maybe now they're knocked to the same color. I'd have to get a, get a look into his eye. Maybe that's how, that'd be look a fantastic... Into it. All, I'm saying is, all I'm saying is look into it. I'll make a couple phone calls. We, we, each, <laughs> we, we each have some, uh, you know, six degrees of separation. You could probably get in touch with somebody in the Nationals, yeah, right? We could find him. We yeah, could find I, him. I don't know where we're going with this, but uh, yeah, let's buy it. I buy it. I buy he, him bunting the ball into his face. I like it. I like it, Matt. Um, Matt, as always, thank you. And we have to give out uh, our sincerest thank yous to Dave Fullen and Mark Shinowski for coming on the podcast, lending their expertise to guys in the know who uh, spend their time here on the Moose and Runes podcast, both recurring guests, both great guys. Cannot say how much we appreciate those two fellas. And uh, thank you, Matt, for yeah. always coming and bringing the fastball as well. It's always nice to talk to somebody who's smarter than you, which is why I, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity today to <laughs> talk to those two. I don't, I get, I don't, I don't, I don't get to do it every week, folks, but you know, days like today, I, I'm happy to get to talk to two. Was that you? Wait, wait, is that you posturing? Is that you saying that you're smarter than most of the people you come in contact with? No, that was me saying I'm smarter than you. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, oh, see, man. this is where we're getting me, it. Me not you, getting it. You're also me not, not picking up on yeah. the joke too. Does not help your cause there. Yeah. Well, 
that's uh, there's no really there's no way out of this one. Also, so, yeah, uh, I, I think all we can do. I, I want to quickly before we get out of here, just uh-huh. bring, bring up something. It's been a recurring theme since we started the podcast. When, when we asked Mark about trading up, and you agreed with him, you know, when you see your guy, you go up and get your guy. Yep, that's what Ryan Pace did with Mitch Trubisky. Saw so his guy, went up and got his guy. Nice that's going to do it for the Moose Room podcast. That's going to do it for the Moose Room podcast. 109 or whatever it is. Either 109-110, one, one or the other. Whatever it is, we are trudging along here. Yes, trudging, man. You are the mud that I walk through on a weekly basis. That but, is the uh, nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> uh, this train isn't stopping. We're going to keep things going here next week for 110 or whatever it may be. Hopefully then, some good draft moves, guys. By then, there'll be a new Blackhawk. There'll be a new Bull. And uh, there'll probably be some NBA stars on new teams. So we'll have plenty to talk about next week as well. But for now, for Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. We'll see you guys next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.